Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tracy Bumgard and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at this hour. Speculation continues on the future of South Africa's President Jacob Zuma. Concerns over voter fraud during voter registration process in the DRC. And divisions rock Zimbabwe's movement for democratic change. In economics news, Zimbabwean farmers who lost their farms may soon be compensated. And in sports news, India aimed to wrap up their ODI series against South Africa with a win. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musam. South Africa is now waiting for confirmation from the ruling ANC that its National Executive Committee, the NEC, has resolved to recall President Sheikh Zuma. It's believed this was the decision reached after the National Executive Committee met for 13 hours from Monday Nairin outside the capital Pretoria. It's also reported that ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa and Secretary General Ace Mahashule communicated the National Executive Committee's decision to President Zuma at his official residence in Pretoria. Zuma is said to have rejected an ultimatum to resign within 48 hours. Ntakwana Ngatane reports. The meeting started at 2 p.m. on Monday, and when vehicles of ANC and EC members finally drove out at 3 a.m. on Tuesday, there was still no confirmation from the ANC on its resolutions. Sources told the SABC the highest decision-making body between conferences resolved to recall the president. It also rejected his request to stay on for three months longer. The presidency has also not verified these statements or whether the president has agreed to step down. The party is expected to outline who will be interim president and deputy president. Meanwhile, the opposition EFF's motion of no confidence in President Zuma is also in the spotlight as National Assembly Speaker Bale Kambete faces a deadline to bring it forward or face court action. The EFF is threatening to challenge Mbete in the High Court unless... She agrees to its request to reschedule the motion to this week. It's currently set down for the 22nd of February. Mbete has denied reports that she's rejected the EFF's request. She says she first has to consult with all the relevant stakeholders, including the chief whip of the majority party. Jackson Mtembun, the leader of the government business, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa. 28 fighters have been killed in a major operation against jihadists in Egypt in the Sinai Peninsula since it was launched by the military on Friday. The army says another 126 jihadists have been arrested since 
Operation Sinai 2018 was launched in the Sinai across from Israel, the central Nile Delta and the western desert near the border with Libya. The security sweep comes as President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi is seeking re-election in March after a first term in office that has seen him crack down an, an Islamist insurgency and other opponents. Egypt's security forces have been increasingly targeted by jihadists since the army in 2013, then headed by al-Sisi overthrew Islamist President Mohamed Morsi. South Sudan's rebel spokesperson James Katdet Duck has been sentenced to death by hanging for treason. He was sentenced a year after he was deported from Kenya despite having refugee status. The sentencing comes as peace talks between the government and rebels taking place in neighboring Ethiopia stall amid mutual accusations of military assaults. Katdet, a former journalist, was also handed jail sentences totaling 21 years, which is expected to serve before his execution. He has insisted his innocence. And finally, a member of British aid agency Oxfam's senior management team has resigned over the agency's handling of a Sikh scandal involving former employees in Haiti. This comes as a meeting taking place between Oxfam officials and Britain's International Development Secretary Penny Mordaunt. The charity has tried to convince the government that it should keep millions of U.S. dollars in government funding. Modant has accused Oxfam of lying after it emerged that some Oxfam workers used prostitutes in Haiti in 2011. Following the earthquake there, the charity has denied covering up the allegations. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa's opposition parties want the motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma brought forward or they will go to court. The parties also want parliament to be dissolved and a new election called. This is part of the agreement reached when the parties met in parliament yesterday. Joseph Masia reports. While the ANC tries to deal with the issue of the recall of Jacob Zuma internally, opposition parties are adding as much pressure as they can. DA leader Musi Maimane says the opposition cannot leave the matter in the hands of the ruling party. The collective of leaders of opposition parties that are here feel that it is urgent and therefore naturally parliament must convene urgently. The Economic Freedom Fighters, as we consulted previously, have written to the Speaker of the National Assembly to request that there be an urgent sitting. That sitting must take place during this week. We can't sit and wait for the ANC's continued deliberations that go nowhere. The parties insist that they will not be party to what they say are the ANC's internal factional battles and will therefore not be supporting the ascendance of any of its leaders to the presidency. Maimane says they have no intention to subject themselves to ANC processes and will therefore not wait idly for that party to exhaust its own processes. It is the view of the collective that the ANC has been complicit in violating the constitution, in defending criminality, and therefore to request of South Africans to then sit back and insist that another person must come in from the ANC would be to undermine constitutionalism, and therefore we want to resort to Section 50 of the Constitution, 
which calls for a dissolution of parliament and ultimately that anybody who wants to lead the people of South Africa must have a mandate from the people of South Africa. Economic Freedom Fighters President Julius Malema agrees that it is not about choosing one leader of the ANC above another. We are not uh, part of ANC factional battles. We are not for Cyril. We don't want Cyril to be president. Cyril is like Zuma, they are the same. Uh, uh, Cyril was part of the people who defended Zuma's wrongdoing and helped him to violate uh, uh, the constitution. So when you say Zuma must go and fold your arms, you are unwittingly saying Cyril Ramaphosa must come in. And we cannot be part of that. On whether the EFF would defer its motion of no confidence to the ANC should it be requested, Malema's response was a resounding no. There is no ANC which is going to get uh, any motion of no confidence from the EFF. It's our motion. Uh, uh, and it's, and the motions of no confidence are governed by rules of parliament. So they are either going to work through the motion of no confidence of the EFF or they will have to wait for another year. And if they wait for another year, it means that they must come and defend Zuma in the motion of no confidence of the EFF. That report by Joseph Musia. It's 8.10 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, President Jacob Zuma is under no constitutional obligation to obey the party committee's decision to recall him. He will then likely be ousted via a parliamentary vote of no confidence within days. It is unclear at this point where matters stand as there has not been any official word from the committee on how it will proceed. Opposition parties are pressing for that motion to be held as early as Thursday. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by political analyst Theo Fenter. Theo, thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine and a very good morning. Good morning. Very interesting times. What could have happened last night? I mean, 3 3 a.m.? A marathon meeting taking place in Irene at the ANC NEC. Yeah, well, it's the second time in less than a month that they had these lengthy meetings. I can recall being at the um, national conference in December. They had a similar kind of marathon meeting. And I'm just asking myself, how much logic can you still pump out of brains that are so tired after 13 hours of talking and thinking and arguing but that aside I think what we're seeing is that um, Zuma is debunking one of those ANC myths which has been thrown around left right and center and that one is where people are saying I'm a I'm a, a disciplined cater of the left when the ANC wants to deploy me, I will go. I will not ask questions. You hear the politicians saying this all the time. Zuma has said it several times. Now that it is on the point where they're saying, Mr. President, I think your time has come. He sits stuck in the, in, 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 in the presidential 
um, house and he's not moving an inch. Now, Theo, why do you think this is the case? Let's speak. Let's just try and unpack this. Where, as you say, um, he's always said, and we've all seen it and heard him say it, that uh, he is deployed by the movement, and in any direction they point him, he will jump. And it's a matter of him saying how high. Why is it different now? I think it has to do with his expectations and the uncertainty about what is going to be his position once he's out of this extremely powerful job called the presidency. Um, he has several legal challenges. He has several other challenges, financial. I think there is um, issues of, of commitment. I think the story that broke a day or three ago by Mark Schwilling that this nuclear deal may be far more advanced um, then we think all of those things put together and you have a man that thinks he needs some time to finish it all off. Um, that, that, that is the best that I think we can do in terms of analysis because there's nothing other than, than that. For instance, um, this whole argument of give me three months to sort out things, it's unnecessary because the deputy president has done all the things that the, that the president would like to teach him. Um, secondly, uh, when he retires, when he goes, um, he will get the same salary, so there is no need for three months' uh, kind of notification before you go like any other people would, would tend to do. And then lastly, I think the, um, it is a high stakes power game at the moment, because the game Zuma is playing with the NEC um, means that um, the one that is going to, to, to blink away from this brinkmanship game is the one that will lose out, because he now takes the NEC and the ANC to a parliamentary process, and the parliamentary process has a certain political cost to the ANC. So the question now is, Will the ANC go for that option where, in a sense, they're providing um, the opposition parties with a lot of political power on a plate uh, in the process of getting rid of Zuma, or would they do it differently? So really, high-stakes game on a nice edge. As you say, high-stakes game. Um, we saw and we heard the... the um opposition parties media briefing yesterday and uh, the spokesperson thereafter of the EFF, uh, that's uh, uh, Dr. Mbuisen Inklozi, um, mentioning the fact that if the, the, they go the motion of no confidence route, um, it will still have to go back to um, what uh, the EFF initially putting that to the assembly, um, the point of uh, no confidence in the president. Is this the high stakes that you're talking about, that it gives the opposition um, that uh, power over the African National Congress? And in terms of that, do you think at some point the ANC will give in to ensure that uh, President Jacob Zuma is removed from this position of president of the country? Yeah, that's exactly the high stakes game. And uh, the opposition parties, they sense this uh, almost the, the taste of victory because th th they are exploiting the weaknesses 
in the ANC, being the dominant party in Parliament, but there's a certain parliamentary procedure that must be followed, etc., 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 and they're now going to do that. You know, when when a similar situation happened at the Clockway municipality in 2012, was when the ANC presented a motion of no confidence in themselves and eventually won it because they were two factions they provided the ruling of town on a plate to the DA. And this is almost a similar kind of design where um, uh, inability to sort out the factions internally um, brings about the um, involvement of the opposition parties. So the opposition parties actually did nothing but to wait for the ANC to do this. And and this this is huge political costs because we've got an election almost a year from now, next year. And it's going to be difficult for the ANC to get around this whole Zuma thing and prepare for the election uh, with opposition parties that are running with their tails in the air, smelling some kind of of uh, victory in some way or another. I'm not saying for a moment that the ANC will lose the election next year, but they will make inroads into the traditional support base of the ANC, and the ANC has never been beyond 60% in its national support. They are used to that level. Coming below 50 next year means that certain provinces may again be out of reach by by managing them, or the ANC will be forced in some provinces like Gauteng, uh, the Western Cape definitely, maybe the Eastern Cape, maybe Northern Cape, to govern in coalition, and that is a big problem for them. Now, let's speak about um, the two um, scenarios. On the one hand, we have, uh, say, a situation where um, the ANC then decides to recall President Jacob Zuma. And speak to us on what happens thereafter. What is the process thereafter? And then on the other hand, with the motion of no confidence in Parliament, what happens thereafter in terms of how the situations will be handled going forward? Two very different outcomes of of the two processes. Let's take the first one. The first one is uh, um, pressure on Zuma to to retire. We call it a recall. Zuma then um, signs his resignation and he says, I am leaving. That means, in theory, that Cyril Ramaphosa immediately becomes the acting president. Um, Cabinet remains fairly the same, um, and the business of government can continue until Parliament meets. Uh, They take note of the Zuma resignation. They accept the ANC's proposal of um, Cyril Ramaphosa as the new president, and he gets elected. So that's the easy one to manage. You'll remember when um, Tawam Beki was recalled, cabinet remained the same. Some ministers resigned because they said, if the president goes, I go. And then uh, Teva Manuel did so and two or three others. Zuma then said to them, no, don't go. Um, I want to keep the cabinet as is. So there is a little doubt about the position of cabinet if the president resigns. But I think in the main, the cabinet ministers will stay put. The other process, when you go for a vote of no confidence, 
the president then falls if the vote of no confidence is successfully pulled through. That means government falls. That means the whole of cabinet stops to exist because there is no president uh, in that design. Then Baleta Ambete, the speaker, becomes president for a few days until parliament um, gets its act together. They have a vote. They then vote Silva Maposa in. He then becomes the president. So in the one process, you've got a little bit more uh, continuation. This is the one of recall. Uh, and the second one, where there's a notion of no confidence, I think the, the rules and the procedures are fairly parliamentary and prescribed. Now, in the first one, um, it still um, has to have a technical parliamentary role. Um, that, that is a given. But it's far easier to manage it than in the second one. Now... He's, uh, uh, as we've seen, breaking news, um, that extended meeting, that marathon meeting that went on until 3 a.m. in the the morning. um, And then there was uh, um, reports of... the president of the ANC and the secretary general, that's uh, a deputy, uh, deputy president of a country, Silva Maposa, and Ace Mahashule as SG, having to, gone through to um, Pretoria to inform the president of uh, what was happening. And he still requested uh, for more time. Now, he's been given two days or 48 hours. What do you think? That forty-eight and that forty-eight hours will change, if anything. What is the uh, the ANC NEC hoping is going to happen during that time? Because it, it's clearly been um, for b- b- almost two weeks now, where there's extensions and change of times, and uh, this is where um, uh, opposition parties and the people of a country are, are, are getting a little bit frustrated. Frustrated of nothing really happening. Everything seems to be in limbo. Yeah, and I, I can think that somebody like Ace Magashule had a very hard time to tell Mr. Zuma last night at 2 o'clock in the morning, Sir, your time has come. They've been best of friends. They've been close allies. Must have been, at a personal level, very difficult for, for Ace Magashule um, at, at, at that one. But I think the time thing is um, like, telling somebody you've got 24 hours to go, in this case, 48 hours. Um, he can actually tender his resignation immediately and they can sort out the crap afterwards. That is absolutely possible. But I think part of the 48 hours is to build a kind of a dignification or to dignify the process, to provide for some face-saving in this process. But Zuma, on the other hand, knows that the ANC is still divided. He knows the ANC still has two major factions. The, uh, the conference uh, in December showed the depth of the factions, and I think he does what he does best, and that is he is playing the process. He's playing the party. He's um, exploiting these divisions and the factions, and um, I think he's making it extremely difficult for the ANC to get to a point. I expect that we will hear at the press conference today that um, he did not take kindly to um, the message that he must go, and um, the ANC has now lost confidence in the president, which places the country 
in a very difficult spot where we've got a president that has lost the confidence of the ruling party. We are almost for a day or two now rudderless in terms of where we're going. Can we still even describe it, describe it as a dignified, a dignified exit? Um, because the longer it continues, it seems there is no dignity. All the dignity is lost. Yeah, I think, I think the original plan was to, to do it with some form of dignity, but I don't think dignity is part of the, of the reference anymore. You will recall that Cyril on Sunday um, in his speech said, or it was uh, the previous Friday in the caucus meeting where he said, I'd like Zuma to leave by the front door and not by the back door. Uh, And that was a kind of a reference to a form of dignity, but I think we're beyond that now. You're right. Theo, what do you think um, former president of South Africa, Tabumbegi, is thinking during this process? Yeah, he must be thinking back at that difficult week. He had a similar week. He responded more like a statesman, saying that, okay, my party has lost confidence in me. Um, I can battle this thing, but let me do the dignified thing. Let me act like a statesman. One of the key uh, characteristics of leadership and statesmen is to know when your time has arrived. And those that have battled that um, we knew this thing is coming for a long time about Zuma. I mean, the whole of 2016, basically from the day the Constitutional Court gave the ruling on Kandla, and he was caught uh, short of his responsibilities of the Constitution, Zuma's presidency was, was really um, hanging in the balance. So this day is a day that's been coming for a long time. The case of Mbeki, there wasn't that kind of of length of um, uh, uh, of, the, of the process. It was much shorter, and he took the right decision. And today, Tawambeki um, is regarded as one of the elder statesmen in Africa, and he has that kind of appeal. I don't think Zuma will ever have that following the kind of exit. You see, your kind of exit determines what people will hold on to and how they will regard you. And I think in that sense, Zuma is, is, is actually detrimental to his position as a statesman later on. Now, Theo, just in wrapping up, uh, the Speaker of Parliament um, was still considering opposition's uh, request for a no-confidence vote against uh, uh, President Zuma. What should she consider with the developments that have taken place up until the early hours of this morning um, with regards to the opposition's request and her final decision on whether or not to move the confidence, uh, de- no confidence debate to an earlier date because the initial date, is, I think, is the 22nd of February um, and there's been a request from the opposition to bring it forward, uh, bring it forward as in uh, Thursday, I think, if I'm not mistaken. What do you think yeah. she should take into consideration? with the new developments where the president has come out and said, I am not going to accept, I'm I'm rejecting this uh, offer that you're putting on the table? Well, two or three things. Uh, The one is that Maleka showed to us end of last year that she acted very strongly and and she acted on good advice with the first vote of no confidence. We know Mm -hmm. that Zuma was extremely annoyed by, by that decision. 
The second thing about Baleka Mbete, where she was regarded as a supporter of Zuma for a very long time, that changed towards the end of last year. And lastly, the opposition parties not only said to her, we want you to move this vote of no confidence closer or earlier, they also um, threatened her with legal action. So by 10 o'clock today, she must make a decision or they will run to court saying that um, um, she's not doing what we requested her to do. I think this is a very, very difficult question. And I guess that she's in discussion all the time with the president of the ANC, Mr. Ramaphosa, trying to work out um, whether it is not possible to do that and to combine the two issues. You see, what can now happen is the opposition parties are setting forth a motion of no confidence. The ANC may also go to the same meeting with their version of a motion of no confidence. So you will have two motions of no confidence competing. And uh, it will be some interesting political navigation through that minefield, but I think there's a very good chance that we will see a motion of no confidence this week. And there's also, we must remember, the necessity to provide some form of State of the Nation address on Thursday or Friday, because without the State um, of the Nation address um, this week in Parliament, your provincial State of the Province addresses um, uh, can't continue, because they all build on the national state of the nation address. So the provinces are waiting. So this whole thing happening in Parliament has got ramifications and spin-offs into the provinces and everything. The only date, it seems to me, that's unmovable is the 21st when we have um, the budget. That one seems to be fixed. All the others are very fluid. This is definitely has been a developing story, as you mentioned, way back um, once that constitutional um, judgment was made about Ngandla. That's a couple of years ago. And now we are here today. Something South Africans and the world are watching. And uh, just very quickly, investors, investment into the country. Do you think this is, is, is going to affect um, um, the investment that was returning to the country or, you know, the gains that have been made um, since uh, Cyril Ramaphosa became the president of the ANC? No, I think the Cyril spark is still there, still there, if we can call it that. I think people in the investment community <clears throat> and mm-hmm. the corporate world in general, they know that these changes at the highest level are usually a little bit awkward. They take a little bit of time. I think the urgency that I sense is more from within the ANC, especially the Ramaphosa side of the ANC, and especially the media, that there's almost in some media types a frenzy about what is going to happen next. Uh, I've been in discussion with a lot of investors over the last two or three weeks. they find For them, the most important thing is Zuma will go. And to them, that is the key decision. Not whether he goes tomorrow or the day after that. Theo, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. That was political analyst Theo Fenter joining us on the line. It is 8.31 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline, South Africa's ruling ANC will hold a media briefing at midday Central African time at which it's expected to formally announce the decision taken by its National Executive Committee and President Jacob Zuma's future. The DRC's main opposition party said will join a march backed by the country's Catholic Church on the 25th of February to demand President Joseph Kabila's resignation. And South African troops Serving in the UN peacekeeping mission in the DRC have been accused of beating a 17-year-old boy and sexually exploiting women. Those are the stories making headlines. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks a hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholisasa Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. The United Nations has expressed its grave concern over allegations against four peacekeepers from South Africa who stand accused of sexual exploitation and abuse in addition to a separate case of physical violence perpetrated against a 17-year-old boy in the DRC. The UN also welcomed a statement by the South African National Defense Force that a formal investigation has been instituted and that an investigation team has been dispatched to the region. South Africa has in the region of 1,200 troops serving in the UN's largest and long-running peacekeeping missions in the world. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Four SANDF troops now stand accused as the UN continues its battle against sexual exploitation and abuse committed by those sent to protect others. Stefan Dujeric is the UN Secretary General's spokesperson. The UN mission in the Democratic Republic of the Congo has received four allegations of misconduct, including three allegations of sexual exploitation. These allegations involve military peacekeepers from South Africa. According to information we have at this time, the three allegations of sexual exploitation involve adult victims, one of which includes a paternity and a child support claim. The incidents allegedly took place in Sake, Beni, and Goma. That's in North Kivu province. UNFPA has, engaged to, has been engaged to ensure that the victims are provided with immediate assistance. 
The UN says it was informed of the allegations late last week and immediately appraised South African authorities that, as the troop-contributing country, is responsible for investigating and prosecuting all allegations against its military personnel. A further case of assault and possible torture is also being investigated. The fourth allegation refers to physical violence inflicted by a military peacekeeper on a 17-year-old boy in eastern Kasai. The victim was referred to UNICEF for immediate assistance for his protection and is being monitored by the UN's Joint Human Rights Office. Ensuring the provision of assistance to the victims is our priority. The UN mission and, uh, and other UN agencies and partners with the support of the victim rights advocate will continue to maintain the well-being of the victims and monitor their needs. Dutrich says the UN will provide any additional assistance, such as the collection of DNA samples. The UN has informed the member state of these four allegations and has requested that national investigation officers be appointed within five days um, and that for investigations to be completed within the reduced 90-day uh, time frame due to the serious concern raised by these allegations. And that would be done jointly with a team from the UN uh, Office of Internal uh, oversight services. The SANDF has long maintained that criminality and ill-discipline within its ranks will not be tolerated. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. An international human rights watchdog has told the UN Security Council that potential voter fraud during the voter registration process in the Democratic Republic of Congo could undermine upcoming elections in December. Some 46 million registered voters will finally go to the polls on December 23rd after several years of delay to cast ballots in presidential, legislative and provincial elections expected to end the incumbency of President Joseph Kabila. But the international community remains on edge due to a worsening political, economic, human rights and humanitarian situation in the country that could undermine any future electoral process. Show and Bryce Peace reports. An informal session of the Security Council known as an ARIA Formula meeting where concerns about the DRC's devolving political landscape was front and centre. Listen to Ida Sawyer of Human Rights Watch. Concerns have already been raised about potential fraud during the voter registration process, with inexplicably high numbers of voters registered in some areas and no independent observation. Many have also expressed concerns that the proposed electronic voting machine will create new opportunities for fraud in the way votes are tallied, and that many Congolese will need to be shown how to use the machine, preventing them from casting a secret ballot. With no transparency and the ruling coalition in control of the entire process, it's no surprise that there is little confidence among Congolese democracy activists and opposition leaders. The Democratic Republic of Congo has seen large-scale violence in the country's central, north and eastern regions in recent years amidst increased political uncertainty and a growing humanitarian emergency with 4.5 million people internally displaced more than any other country in Africa. And the uncertainty around upcoming elections, including President Kabila's future, is adding to an already precarious situation. The Security Council, MONUSCO, UN member states and the African Union have important leverage. Now is the time to use that leverage. First, the Security Council should be clear that December 23, 2018 is the final deadline. In the interim, the Council should be ready to challenge the government if it fails to create an enabling environment 
one in which all Congolese are free to express their choice, contest in elections, and protest peacefully. Several countries, including the United States, voiced concern, as expressed by Ambassador Nikki Haley. We are deeply concerned by the Election Commission's insistence on using an electronic voting system that has never been used in the DRC. Our understanding is that the Commission has never even tested this electronic voting system in the DRC, but plans to deploy this technology for the first time on Election Day. It should go without saying that employing an unfamiliar technology for the first time during a crucial election is an enormous risk. It has the potential to seriously undermine the credibility of elections that so many have worked hard to see happen. With calls for voter rolls to be scrubbed of deceased and fraudulent voters, Rushdie Nakadian of the International Federation for Electoral Systems also weighed in. Elections are complex and if not conducted adequately can be the spark that ignites existing tensions. The legitimacy of an election largely depends on the actual and perceived integrity of the electoral process. If voters and candidates believe an election was unfair or poorly administered, they may not accept the outcome. The delayed elections in the DRC, a country the size of Western Europe, present formidable challenges. The public has low levels of trust in the electoral institution, but high expectations that the ballot box will be a mechanism for reform and stability. President Kabila has been in power since 2001, assuming the presidency in the aftermath of his father Laurent's assassination. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pees in New York. Divisions within Zimbabwe's main opposition party, the Movement for Democratic Change, has widened after the family of ailing Morgan Tangarai disputed the appointment of Deputy President Nelson Chamisa as the party's acting leader. The family has accused Sangurai spokesperson Luke Tamborinyoka of lying after he issued a statement claiming that the ailing veteran leader had appointed Chamisa as the party's caretaker leader. Three deputies, Nelson Chamisa, Elias Muzuri and Togozani Kupe are vying to act as MDCT party leader in Tangarai's absence as the party prepares to take on the ruling ZANU-PF in the first polls since Robert Mugabe's fall. However, Tangarai spokesperson Luke Tamborinyoka insists that Nelson Chamisa is the party's acting leader. He spoke to Channel Africa's Ntlantla Matlang. I just want to say that I've got a great respect for the international and I commiserate with them in terms of uh, uh, the health issues concerning our, our president, uh, with the boss of President Tangare. But I just want to state it on the record that uh, on the 7th of February, the president personally spoke to me and he personally told me to issue a statement that uh, uh, Vice President Shalisa was not acting president. So the president has not yet uh, communicated with me that uh, that position has been overturned. So as far as I'm concerned, I stand guided by what the president personally so, by the looks of things, or from my understanding, Mr. Nelson Chamisa is the party's acting leader. Yes, yes, that position has not been changed. That is the position has officially communicated to me directly by none other than the president himself. That the president speaks through his spokesperson. That is the position I communicated to the world, and that position has not changed. And how is the party generally uh, preparing for the upcoming elections with, uh, you know, these positions that uh, the two other guys are fighting for, for the position of uh, president in the absence of Mr. Tangerai, who's currently in hospital? Yeah, I've uh, seen 
Uh, to say that uh, there is a needless stampede in the cockpit of the party, it is needless and it is unnecessary. But I can tell you that uh, the MDC is a mammoth institution. We are preparing for this election. Uh, the party organs are okay, the structures on the ground are okay. We are having successful and uh, there is a huge turnout at our MDC alliance rallies. As you know, we are putting this election under the banner of the MDC alliance, which is basically a conglomeration and a congregation of seven political parties. 34 historic their faith in uh, President Changra as the presidential candidate of the time. So the programs are going on well. Only yesterday we had the mammoth crowd uh, in the city of Mashingo on the 18th of Sunday, on the 18th of February, we are going to have another huge crowd in National and West. So the party on the is all systems go. And we are preparing for the next election. So the party has already started campaigning for the upcoming elections. Are you confident that this time around you will do well? Yes, yes, yes. We remain confident. Uh, we are, his sickness only points to the mortality of, uh, of all of us as human beings. But we have no doubt in our minds that uh, President Sandra will bounce back. Uh, the nation is praying for him. Uh, that is why some of us believe that the stampede in the conflict is uh, only needless and unnecessary. That this is delicate power, the real men who uh, on whose uh, uh, shoulders that the people of Zimbabwe bestowed and reported their faith and trust, confidence and authority in Shanghai. And there's no doubt in our minds that you want that that I will be cured and that you will be right with us soon. That was Morgan Sangurai spokesperson Luca Tamborinoka on the line to Ntlantamatlao. Channel Africa. reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Tracy Boomgaard. Thank you, Lulu. Zimbabwe is reportedly attempting to compensate white farmers whose farms were seized during the country's land reform program. A committee spearheaded by Rings and Chitsoko looks to make agricultural production attractive in the African country again. This comes just weeks after evicted white farmers demanded a nine billion US dollar payout for assets expropriated during the controversial land redistri- redistribution program. The Iraqi government is appealing to the international community for nearly ninety billion US dollars to help it rebuild after years of war. Planning Minister Salman 
Al-Jinyali says about a quarter of the funds are needed immediately. The BBC's Alan Johnston reports. The years of fighting have left great swathes of destruction. Large parts of cities like Mosul and Ramadi lie in rubble. Many tens of thousands of homes have been damaged. Huge numbers of people are struggling to cope in the ruins of the war. And there's a danger poverty and desperation will lead some into the arms of radical groups like IS, which is determined to fight on. U.S. President Donald Trump has revealed his plans for a revamp of America's infrastructure. He wants $1.5 trillion of spending on roads, ports and airports to meet campaign goals. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue reports. According to the president, America's roads, bridges, drinking and wastewater systems are crumbling. But he said world-class infrastructure was possible if America invested in itself, rather than, as he put it, stupidly spending $7 trillion in the Middle East. He wants Congress to pass legislation that would release around $200 billion of federal money that will be used in partnership with the private sector and state governments. There's also $50 billion for rural development, including high-speed broadband. South Africa's Johannesburg Stock Exchange closed mixed with property and resources stocks losing ground, but banks and retailers rousing on a slightly stronger rand. The all-share index was 0.5% higher at 56,206. Financials gained 0.6% and the Industrial 25 index rose 0.8%. The Top 10 Resources index shed 0.2%. The Platinum Mining index was 0.2% down and the Gold Mining index declined by 1.2%. On the capital market, the yield on the R186 government bond closed at 8.39%. Tuto Ingobeni has more. European markets ended higher. Britain's Futsal 100 as well as the CAC 40 in France gained 1.2% and Germany's DAX rose by 1.4%. Meanwhile, markets in the U.S. closed firmer with the Dow Jones and the Nasdaq gaining 1.6% each, recovering from their worst weekly sell-off in two years. This as investors turn their attention to President Donald Trump's infrastructure plan. Asian stock markets are trading firmer at this hour, following Wall Street up. Japan's Nikkei is 0.2% up. Hong Kong's Hang Seng has so far increased by 1.8%. Mainland China's Shanghai Composite Index is 1.6% higher, while markets in India are closed for a public holiday. Looking at your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 11.94 South African Rand, at 9.48 Botswana Pula, and at 9.69 Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 72 pence British Pound, and at 81 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,324 and platinum at $973 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $62.97 a barrel. I'll be back with more in the next hour. Our sports update up next with Figula Lingwati. Figula, the Proteas. Oh, yes, the Proteas have to win today.
They have to win <laughs> because now they are 3-1 down mm. to India. And uh, if they don't win any, so they've lost the whole six. Imagine, they've put in a six ODI series for the first time. India wanted it that long. Now, they have to win today. And then, it's all systems go for the okay. last one. We'll keep our fingers crossed and no rain. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. I don't know. We can just, we can say that with rain. I think they need it most in the Eastern Cape as well. So, you know, we want to see cricket, but at the same time, we need this n- scarce resource, which is water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, give us an update. In this hour, we begin with cricket news. Andy Lepetluguayo says the Proteas would dearly like to get early wickets to put the India middle order under pressure in the fifth ODI in the in Port Elizabeth, South Africa's Eastern Cape province. The sim bowling all-rounder says that to date in the series, the Proteas' plans with the ball have not yielded the result they would have liked, but he insisted there was no quit in the group. The fifth ODI between, between South Africa and India gets underway today at 1300 hours Central African time from St. George's Park. Meanwhile, the Proteas' preparation for the 2018 ICC Women's World T20 begins in earnest this week when they embark on a five-match 2020 series against India in Room, South Africa's northwest province. The first match takes place at Senwes Park Stadium where the hosts will hope to get their campaign off to a winning start. South African all-rounder Marizan Cup is looking forward to the change in format and believes the team is ready to put their best foot forward. On to football news, the Electoral Commission of Rwanda Football Federation, Ferroafa, has set the new date for the presidential elections of the local football governing on the 31st of March. The president of the commission, Aldolfi Kalisa, says they will receive nomination forms on the 19th of February, vet them on the 28th of February before publishing the list of candidates on the 9th of March. The officials say campaigning will not start until the 12th of March. The development follows the failure on the 30th of December 2017 by the Federation's General Assembly to vote in a new president in a dramatic election in which the sole aspirant, Felicity Romalika, failed to garner enough votes that would have made her the first woman to lead Ferroafa. And South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee, Sanskok employee Desri Vadam has described the mood at the Olympic House in Johannesburg as toxic and unbearable. The protection of uh, my, or the violation of, of me as an employee, since my um, computer has been hacked, and uh, there is no protection to date with regards to the number of times. Like to get that protection? Yes, I've requested. What did you do about it? I've sent correspondence, I've addressed it at management meeting. To who? Um, to the current matches. And did you get any reply? No, sir. Okay. When did you do this? I've done it since the time of the uh, cyber attacks, um, and that was from last year. Tell me, have you thought of raising this with Mr. Sam? Please, as I said, the head man. Presumably he would be in a position to direct the uh, persons below him to do something. Um, so the, the, the manner in which the environment is at Sarskop is a very command and control environment. So we have very strict protocol 
with regards to your reporting structures. I've been told that the buck stops with my line manager. So hence, um, I have reported this at, ma at management. Finally, novrovirus cases at the Pongjang Winter Olympics have risen to nearly 200 despite an intense battle to contain the outbreak. 17 new cases have taken the total of 194, although 147 of those affected have already been released from quarantine. About 1,200 security guards were quarantined and replaced by hundreds of soldiers when the highly contagious bug first came to light last week. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, Raz and Shan at this hour, speculation continues on the future of South Africa's President Jacob Zuma, concerns over voter fraud during voter registration process in the DRC, and divisions rock Zimbabwe's movement for democratic change. That wraps up Africa, Raz and Shan today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzora Magadza and Selina Dobong, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or at channelafrica1. Tweet us at Rushline Africa. Send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Black Motion with a song titled Lalel. I'm on the laser 